I want us to become brothers again like we used to be, and for us to find ourselves and bond with each other. Can we agree to that? Opinions vary. Welcome to Three Brothers Filmcast. I'm Anders Bergstrom, and I'm here with my brothers. Anton. And Aaron. My last name is the same as my brothers. And this month, we're talking with the latest film in the Scream franchise, Scream 6. We appreciate you listening, and if you haven't yet given this podcast a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast service, please do so. Ratings are an important way for independent podcasts like this one to extend their reach, and it really helps. Now, on with the show. Okay, Ramblers, let's get rambling. This isn't like any other ghost face. What is this place? A shrine. We've got to lure him in. We execute him. Hello. Let's play a game. You know you're like the 10th guy to try this, right? It never works out for the dipshit in the mask. Maybe. But there's never been one like me, Gail. I'm something different. Scream 6 is the latest film in what we can now call the Scream franchise. The sequel to the requel, as the characters in the film self-consciously call it. Returning directors from the 2022 legacy sequel Scream, Matt Bettinelli-Olpin and Tyler Gillette, moved the film's central cast of survivors from the town of Woodsboro to New York City. The film follows Jenna Ortega's Tara Carpenter from the last film as she begins university. Her half-sister Sam, played by Melissa Barrera, follows her to Manhattan, ostensibly to protect her as she struggles with her own legacy as the daughter of the original Ghost Feast killer, Billy Loomis, played by Skeet Ulrich. Just like all the films in the Scream series, this latest entry is movie-obsessed and self-aware, interrogating the rules and conventions of horror films, especially teen slashers and horror franchises, even as the film engages in those rules and conventions itself. The fictional movie series within the series, Stabbed, allows for characters to reflect directly on movie conventions and the nature of horror fan culture. And as a sequel to the requel, characters in this film note that the rules are increasingly out the window, with legacy characters and even main characters now potentially targets or suspects, even if the movie ultimately may not go through with those violations. Moving on from Woodsboro, Scream 6 has fun with its New York setting. Montreal's McGill University stands in for the fictional Manhattan set Blackmore. It also switches up the classic Scream opening kill to unsettle our expectations as it seemingly immediately reveals the identity of the killer of a film professor in a back alley. The professor, played by Samara Weaving from the director's earlier film, Ready or Not, in a self-referential nod, is killed by her film student, played by Tony Revolori, only for the film to switch it up again and have the killer himself be the final pre-credit victim of Ghostface. After that, Sam and Tara find themselves being targeted by a killer or multiple killers in ghostface masks during Halloween in Manhattan. We get bodega fights and killers in ghostface masks on a crowded subway car, with Halloween revelers dressed as iconic horror movie characters. Scream 6 does go pretty big and bloody, but never overshoots in its ambition. I enjoyed Scream 6 and the previous requel a fair bit. And while they still engage in a lot of the knowing and self-referential play that made the original Scream film so much fun, it does lack some of the humor and satire that the first three films had, even as they maintain their genuinely scary moments. This is the first Scream film not to feature Nev Campbell's Sidney Prescott, though Courtney Cox returns as Gail Weathers. I like Melissa Barrera a lot as the new lead in Sam, although the attempts at creating genuine sent moments of sentiment between her and her sister Tara don't always gel that well with the tone of the rest of the film. Now, one thing I noted a few years ago with the original film is that ultimately, while these films poke at and discuss slasher films, they aren't entirely slashers in the way, say, Texas Chainsaw Massacre or even Halloween are. The recurring mystery of who has donned the Ghostface mask and perpetrated the killings makes the Scream series much more mystery-oriented than most slashers. With the unmasking and the killer's monologues at the end, acting as a kind of R-rated episode of Scooby-Doo. The lack of supernatural elements and the focus on the mechanics of the gruesome kills recalls the giallo genre, a genre of Italian crime mystery films with mystery killers that had a significant influence on filmmakers like Brian De Palma, among others. This new film even references this in the opening scene. Revolori's character is called a huge Argento nerd, 
and a Jalo fan who got a C on his last assignment. The black gloves of the hidden killer from Jalo are here replaced by the ghost face Halloween mask. So, do you both agree that this film is a solid continuation of the series, even if it isn't quite as good as the first couple of films in the 90s? Aaron, you're probably the biggest horror fan of all of us and a fan of the first of these Scream Legacy sequels, which you reviewed for the site. What's your take on Scream 6? I enjoyed Scream 6 quite a bit. I don't quite like it as much as Scream 5, which I was a huge fan of. Um, but I think it's come to the point where I Scream is maybe the only horror series where I like every single entry. Um, and in that sense, it's probably my favorite horror series, even if um, you know I might individually hold up Nightmare on Elm Street or Halloween as being better than Scream. Like those particular films? Yeah, exactly. Those yeah, individual yeah. films. But I'm yeah. saying the franchise as a whole, like all six of these movies I like. I think they're all good. They all work. I don't think they're all equally good. Like I think the first Scream is like dynamite, like absolute classic. The second one is one of the great horror sequels because it's it just does all the sequel stuff so well. Rips the fun of that. Other ones... You know, they vary in how successful they are, but they all have their own novelty to both the the set pieces and the the approach to the meta narratives. Mm -hmm. And I think the meta narratives is probably where this one is a little lacking. It reminded me a lot of Scream 4, which is fitting because uh, Hayden Panettiere's Kirby shows up in this one and she's in 4 and they reference a lot of the stuff in 4. And similar to that one, it seems like a lot of the resentments in this film by the killers when they're eventually really revealed is is partially fueled by a um, an anger over the like notoriety of the central character. So it's this kind of like misplaced fandom or a counter fandom that they like use and wield against the hero. And in this case, like they they build that up on themselves. That's part of the reveal, right? But um, it doesn't have quite as much of that brilliant takedown of like. So you know, Scream Two is all about the sequels and in sequels this is the rule and you can kill off original characters and then scream three is about trilogies and trilogies are all about capping things off and and, and the huge reversal yeah, <laughs> exactly big reversals and we're tying things from the first one and it's not just connecting to the last one it's connecting to all of them and then i actually everything you knew was wrong and the thing i loved about uh scream five or scream as it was titled last year is all the requel stuff, it just hits it so, so strongly throughout. And even the beats of the movie hit those like it. The, the structure of Scream 5 is essentially the structure of Force Awakens. Mm -hmm. And it's like it like reminds you that it's doing that in the movie and then it still does it and it's still effective. Like all the stuff with Dewey is Han Solo. Like, yeah, <laughs> right? I liked your comment in your review about Dewey showing up like Han Solo reluctantly and grizzled and he's so grizzled and he gets his heroic heroic moment and he but so this one doesn't have quite that but i do appreciate the franchise comments and they bring it in there but i think it kind of going back to the first comment and your jollo comment this one it's just it kind of lives and dies on the set pieces and i think mm -hmm. it has two really good set pieces which is escaping the house when or the apartment when ghost faces and they're climbing across the ladder and the subway scene yeah. And those are just the cases where Scream, unlike a lot of other sequels or a lot of other horror franchises, I think has remain um, has consistently been scary in that each movie in the series actually is able to generate tension and scares and not devolve into just being a joke. But I think even I yeah, I think with this like this sixth one, um, what I admire most is probably not. It's not even just the scares, I guess, like, like you mentioned the set pieces, but then it's sort of, sort of the, it's the, the, the building and sustaining of tension. Um, this in some sense, actually the suspense. And I think the, uh, the scene where they're trying to escape the apartment is a really good suspense sequence, partly because it operates on Hitchcock rules of suspense where you, you make things, um, like you, you, the, the, the tension is because, you know, like you're, you're anticipating what's going to happen. It's not about the surprise in that moment. Exactly. You even get moments of like a rear window yeah, yeah. moment <laughs> where the, the, the neighbor lover guy is like looking through and he's like and he's trying, trying to, to get warn, their attention. He's trying, trying to phone to their attention. And then it's as if, right? Like it's, it's as if they're crossing over to the, the rear window by the, how they escape across the alleyway on that, um, like the ladder. Um, I would just say I think six, it's hard for me to say whether I like uh, five or six better. And I'm just going to call it five for 
the sake of clarity, yeah. <laughs> even though it was called Scream. And it, it was fitting that it was called Just Scream because that's just like Halloween. That's a requel, yeah. like reboot thing to do. So I know they did it for that reason. But anyway, so five, five is better at the meta, the satire, um, I think. That this, I think five's funnier. And it's funnier. It's because it's got um, Jack Quaid. Like, but I think really. this one's actually better. I think this one's actually better for the suspense and the set pieces. It's bigger too at the end. So that that's that's my that's my take on it, is that I think there's I come away like actually having, you know, two, maybe even three. Like I so I, I would also say like the, the subway scene is really good. And um I actually like the bodega scene too. Yeah, I mean yeah, just yeah. sort of like the visual of uh ghost face with like a shotgun and a bodega. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and I think it's like is you know, it's not like so much a horror scene, like it could be a crime movie. Yep. The way this this the suspense is built and you know, you're stalking the aisles. Um, but that I also thought was a really good scene. Um Caption also, you know, serve a good atmosphere for New York City. Um I but I don't I don't think I didn't find this movie that funny. And I think no. um some of it's you mentioned in your intro, Anders, like how both these films kind of try to lean into some of like the sister drama as like as if we're supposed to take it like seriously um, means that there's a slight difference in terms of tone from like the earlier ones where I think the earlier ones are a little bit more ruthless in their satire in the sense of that basically everyone but Sydney is up for scorn. I'll make a couple jump off a couple of comments that you 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 make here. So Aaron, as you said, this sort of this one um, as a sequel, it kind of plays off some of the things in Scream Two that go to college, right? Uh, you have all that kind of stuff. You're right. You're right. It is. It also there's a little bit in the way that so Scream Three, where they go to Hollywood, right, really takes advantage of the Hollywood Hills, the like the giant directors' mansions, stuff like that. This one also really takes advantage, probably even more so, of its setting in New York. I think that's why we like the bodega scene, the subway scene. These are things you couldn't do in Woodsboro, right? But also, sorry, just like the identity of the villains and their motivation is the same as in Scream 2 as exactly, well. Exactly, exactly. Without giving it away, it is it is the same. Yeah. It's getting back for the previous film. It's like, <laughs> yeah. Number three borders on going too far into humor at times. Like, it's not. So I actually, even... I haven't seen yeah, three okay. before. Yeah. I won't spoil three or four for you, but without spoiling it, number three, there are moments of like over the top satire. There's a character. So they're making a <laughs> film within the film at Parker Posey's yeah. playing a character who's based on Gail Weathers. And she's so ridiculous. Like it's like every scene she's in is like a straight up full comedy. Um, even the it's yeah, it, it gets very goofy. This movie never gets that goofy, but this movie loves to plays it big. Like the whole set at the end in the like shrine to the ghost face killers with the nine nine cloaks and stuff. I kind of love that stuff. I think it's like no, that's a really, good that's a good sequence. That is that sequence is also very Scooby Doo. Yes, oh, that's yeah. what I like. And this goes back to my thing. One of the stuff thing I like about this, and I think that uh, Samantha Carpenter. Or, I love that they're Carpenter. <laughs> also, well, horror film person there um i think sam she's she plays well in that hero and i'm wondering what you guys think of my idea that like so because since it's revealed in the first of the requels uh that sam is the ha so tara's half sister sam is actually billy loomis's daughter right from the skeeter from the first film and, and sh there's this these these bits where like i kind of wish they didn't have as much of the sentiment and just like let Sam lean a little more into the like anti-hero stuff. Maybe it'll be the third one. Maybe. Sam yeah, maybe go like, I don't want her to ever like face. go full villain, but I do like that. She's like kind of like the anti-hero. Like she's like, she's if she, if to make the star Wars comparison, maybe she's almost, almost a uh, Kylo Ren kind of character or something like that in her, or well, they do uh, basically like in this movie, like you have to channel your dark side. Exactly. Like, but they even had like, that in the last one. Remember? Yeah, like, that's what, exactly. Like the, the ending of the last one is really like the ski, the ski hallucination here, it, helps it, it, her exactly. survive. Exactly. Here it almost like borders on to compare it to the last horror film we covered. Uh, Halloween ends. I'm like, is she, is she going to be the Corey Cunningham? Oh, yeah. Is she going to inherit the mantle? Uh, well she's uh, not quite as damaged as Corey, but no <laughs> yeah nah, there's no they, they no one it. to crawl into a hole and learn from yeah <laughs> uh, yeah ghost faces living in the sewers but her, but her whether it's hallucinations or, or whatever of her her father uh are the closest the series ever gets to actual like sort of supernatural uh elements without overtly going there but i actually like those moments because it so 
I think it's true that the satire in the, um, five and six, and especially six, is a little bit weaker, and the film loses its indictment of the you know the characters, the core four or whatever, right? Like it's not as ruthless about them as it is about yeah. Dewey and Gale in the originals. Well, it it's pretty like, ruthless. It, it of won't let fans, anyone though. die. Like, that's <laughs> well, I think they do that because Sam and Tara are very like humorless. Like Tara tries a little bit, but I, I think I actually think the pure like franchise so the scene where mindy is explaining the franchise rules and she's like it's all yeah yeah, it's all about having to perpetuate the franchise franchises are simply about justifying their own existence and so the fact that they both survive and there's like throwaway lines being like they missed an artery and like (laughs) twice i thought i kind of thought chad was dead after the oh i totally thought how many influence does chad take into these movies he's just like literally this ghost face is just going to town on his body all the time (laughs) but i think cushion I think they're actually it's a pure franchise thing that they don't want to cut them off because they need the nerd characters to bring in the meta stuff. They don't want to introduce a new one. They also realize that they're like the two funny characters and that if you don't have them, you don't have the kind of levity that might make this series scream as opposed yeah, to just, just turn another into a bunch of sequences where the sisters are looking like scared, either like longfully or scared at each other and yeah. into each other's eyes in the midst of whatever the scene is. I do think Sam, I, my comments on her, like, I think she's good at looking badass. Like when she gets the knife and she's like takes off the jacket and she's like, I'm going to fight. She's like a good final girl kind of like, but kind of verging into like kick ass kind of without. I don't well, know. you haven't seen Ready or Not, have you? No, no, I haven't. Seen yeah, it. because so in Ready or Not, the whole plot of Ready or Not is like she meets this guy and then it's like, oh, we're going to have like it's a special event in this like estate. And it's like, oh, you we're going to do a role play. You're the bride. And it's like, you're actually the bride. We're going to like marry you into this like creepy family. And then she goes hog on everybody. <laughs> and like, that's what it it's. It's just Samara weaving with like a shotgun in a bridal dress, like blowing people away and stuff with a crossbow. I did <laughs> think the opening of the scene was pretty kind of meta and funny and brutal. And I like Tony Revolori and Samara weaving and yeah, the whole, that was like, a really good, it, um, you know, really good. One of the common friend of ours once sequence. I made about uh scream too. And the good scene, the very funny scenes when they're talking about sequels with at the college with like Randy and Mickey, like Timothy Olyphant's character and stuff. Are you suggesting that someone's trying to make a real life sequel? Stat two? Who'd want to do that? Sequels suck. No, no. Come on, man. Oh, please, please. By definition alone, they're inferior films. It's bullshit generalization. Many sequels have surpassed their original. Oh, yeah? Name one. Yeah. Aliens, far better than the first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, there's no accounting for taste. Thank you, Ridley Scott rules. Name another. No. <laughs> Aliens is a classic, okay? Get away from her, you bitch. I believe the line is stay away from her, you bitch. It's film class, right? <laughs> but, like, he's like, that's not how a film class, university film class goes. That's, like, nothing like it. Whereas it seems we wish, like a little we more heat. Like yeah. Here it's, like, you know, we get a little more of, like, Samara Weaving is, like, this, like, associate professor. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's the, a little the, bit more satiric. Like, there's some satire of, of like, contemporary university stuff. Yeah, yeah, in the way she like describes what she does and yeah. and, and stuff. So that was no, funny. I was just gonna say like the thing with the I just to find, put a close the book on the the Sam comedy. Just I I think it's slightly transgressive to lean into the fact that like oh in in a slasher film in the modern day and age to actually survive it you have to be a bit of a psychopath. And like, <laughs> you have to be more vicious than the people that are going to kill you or else you might not survive. And both these movies kind of show that. And when she actually like dons the ghost face stuff at the end and just just mercs them, it's like, OK, that's kind of it's fun. But you're also like, eh, it's, it's a little much for like yeah. the hero of a horror movie <laughs> okay. to just start just stabbing like a hundred times. Although Sydney killed people in every movie. Too. No, she does, too. She doesn't relish it the same way. No, she doesn't. relish But it though, yeah. to the satire point, I actually we should probably focus on the opening scene because the opening scene is always the iconic stuff in all the screen yeah, movies. Right? The most satirical, it's, we, right? Exactly. And but that's actually I think one of the things with these movies. And I think five and six, it's very um important that these films have identified the true villains are fans yeah and it makes that like it's very adamant about that and even the opening scene with tony revelori it's like you're a stupid fan you're not even smart enough to actually do it like a real fan who will kill you then and you're you're like friend and even the whole ending right it's this mausoleum it's a fandom cult thing it's we've got every possible item from the films we've got all the real stuff oh my god it's like that the value of this how did they get this oh people like <laughs> yeah, there's that comment they're like how could they afford all this stuff cops like money <laughs> <laughs> but like so 
it, it is interesting because I mean, I think then it in being, um, you know, uh, a reboot, requel, legacy sequel, you know, these two, that totally makes sense that one of these sort of uh, extra textual contexts, like it's, it's all about is sort of fandom because that's, is the biggest, you know, context for any of these reboots um, or legacy sequels or requels to when they come out is what is, what's going on? What's the interaction between this redo and the fan base? Um, I think I, I, I personally think sometimes it, it's too, it takes, it's too easy to sort of just, it only sl- let's just say it only slugs one direction in the satire, um, and it. Yeah, I would appreciate a little bit more uh, satire also about like the kind of the the shallowness of mining, you know, like a property again and again. You get a couple jokes that way, but I feel like they're more interested in ribbing uh, hardcore fans. But I do think like so that 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 is a good dimension of satire to these, um, maybe, and that works probably better than the. Then sort of some sequences like I, I don't I personally just don't think like, you know, Mindy and her knowing of film just doesn't come across the same way as um, as Uncle Randy. Yeah, as their as their uncle in like, you know, in the first and the second um, in, in the way the way that also come the way that the first and the second movie will um, comment on how a movie works. Well, at the exact moment they're 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 playing out that like trope was it just. It, it kind of is operating on a different level, I think. But um, but there, I think you're right that there's maybe more to the satire here than, I think than on one a of first the great take touches with some of that fan stuff. One of the great touches of these films is having the stab series within the screen yes, world. absolutely. Because it really allows you to make it super explicit. And it, it's in number five, right, when they have the, the scene of like – Mindy watching the, the recreation and stab of the scene of her uncle in the same house that they're in. Yeah. It wasn't like, like, aren't they like, like watching like a making of, or like in the fifth one? Like, cause there was like stuff that you're seeing and you're like, like it's almost like it was supposed to be like a documentary of, of like the potential real killings within like the world. Like it, like there's so many levels of like sort of fake. Now, Anton, you haven't seen number four. Within it. Right, no, I but number four, the opening sequence is one of the most ridiculous things in the whole series. It's so just layers upon layers. You. You just, yeah, layers <laughs> upon layers. It's very good. Um, but uh, so okay, one thing I think um, if we make a comparison again to some of the earlier screams, I I just think one of the biggest things that makes these two like I still like them. I thought they were good, um, but I, sort of a step down from say the first two because I again I haven't seen three or four. Um, I just think that the cast overall is less funny. And I think we forget even like how much of the energy and humor in like the first one is like, like, you know, like Matthew Lillard just acting like ridiculous the entire movie, like things like that is like so much of like the humor. It's not, it it is in the writing, but it's also in like the performances and like Chad's just not as funny. Chad's, Chad's pretty good. Like I'm, I'm glad Chad's around, but you're like, he's just not as funny as like some of the characters in those movies. I mean, but the, I mean, the first film, you know, is top to bottom, like, well cast. I mean, you have the, you know, the iconic Drew Barrymore opening scene. You have Henry Winkler as the principal. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's yeah. like so good. And, uh, but even yeah. number two has got like Sarah Michelle Geller and stuff. Timothy like. <laughs> Oliphant, you know, is great. Which I actually, I haven't made this comment yet, but in addition to Jallo, the other thing that the screen movies most resemble is the Buffy, <laughs> which is oh, yeah. ma- Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which makes sense because the whole Scooby gang mystery, mm-hmm. the idea of this like tight knit group of teens who knows all the horror tropes and they're going to get to the bottom of whatever monster or killers out there. And even these new ones remind me of almost like a, it, it's like what I could imagine if they rebooted Buffy, what it would almost like seem like <laughs> it's like similar tone and style. And you know, maybe lean a little bit more into like the trauma aspects of it because that's just what horror is about nowadays, but still like not taking it entirely seriously. Well, remember from Scream 5 that the Babadook is Tara's favorite horror film. <laughs> See, I love the opening of Scream 5 because it's just the killer's so incensed and so angry that she doesn't like horror movies. You love art and TV and movies. Okay, well, lots of people love movies. Yeah, but she says you love scary movies and that you guys have that in common. She's proud of making a fan out of you. She is? Yeah. She told me the other day, she wonders, what's your favorite scary movie? Uh, The Babadook. It's an amazing meditation on motherhood and grief. (laughs) Isn't that a little fancy pants? 
Well, it's elevated horror. Uh, uh, what does that mean, elevated horror? You know, it's like scary, but with complex emotional and thematic underpinnings. It's not just some schlocky cheese ball nonsense with wall-to-wall -wall jump scares. Hmm, that sounds kind of boring to me. Have you ever seen Stab? See, there was that there was that atrocious article right last week, the yeah. the W magazine of like why horror movies before 2016 or 17 when Get Out came out were bad, and the opening scene of Scream Five is just like a person who thinks like that is a complete idiot, and we're gonna try and kill him. <laughs> <laughs> like that's literally that scene. I think also um, so one other thing I one other point of I guess contrast I'd say is that and I was mentioning this to Anders, and I maybe even touched upon this earlier in the podcast, but like. I just find that um, partly because of just the way uh, we tell stories today, you know, and they even comment that you were, you know, like a series will reflect um, it's sort of, you know, it's decade in its period, but it's, it's just so much less ruthless towards the characters. Mm -hmm. And I think that means that uh, that actually sort of diminishes the sort of the, the satirical force. Yeah. Because satire so is all you, about putting yeah, people up for and, scorn and my That's sense always in you know my my sense in the first two is that literally the only person they're not making fun of is sydney yeah and maybe even sydney they're making fun of how how stoic she is at times and like sort of like sad looking but like like everything and everyone and like you got the sense that like anybody could be killed and the the movie would both um do that ruthlessly and kind of make a joke out of it whereas in this the th weird thing is that like and again, this is actually building on something, Aaron, you were talking about uh, to me was just that like, there's a weird sense where it's like, they're timid to actually kill the people, but they've actually like upped the like gore. Yeah. So it's like, we're going to show you like rip open, like the knife's going to go up through someone's abdomen and start to like pull them apart in a way that you don't see in those earlier ones. But then afterwards, they're like, don't worry. They're, they're alive. Don't worry. Like we didn't kill them. I guess medical or, or, or they give like, or they, or they give like a, I love you. I love you. So like, there's like this like desire to have like an emotion or or something to kind of like soften, but at the same time, they're the actual visual killing is like amped up, and I actually don't know what to make of that tonally for today. And it seems to be in other horror movies today as well. I think it is a generational thing, and I think one of the interesting things when watching the screen films is like yeah, the characters comment on how films uh, sort of act as a sort of barometer of their their time period in a lot of ways. And I think that's very true of these films. Like even as much as they're aware of it, they, they still do like the emotionalism folks on trauma and things like that. But well, like, and this one's like, a, it's a sister bond. Yep, it's sister like the bond. root, the, yep. the root relationship, things like yep. that. And uh, like, and number, and, and uh, one of the things like number three, you know, a lot of people don't like that film. It, I can understand. There's things what year I really is it? Like 2000? 2000. I mean, but it, like, it's hard to think of a film that's a better barometer of a, like hideous our culture was in 2000 in that movie yes. but that's part of the reason i like it it was like you know you've got like a creed, isn't it a creed song the soundtrack yeah, yes. and like yes. Elbado, like those like bootcut jeans and like terrible haircuts and like and just like james island bob show up in one scene like it's just like it's like oh man yeah i've totally forgot about that's what the world james is like bob up yes yeah oh man as himself i gotta see that like as the characters yeah the meta uh, levels go deep yeah but the um and they're all like that. And, the, and the, you know, the 2011 film kind of feels of its time, too. It's like we're not really quite sure what to make of this Internet thing 100% yet. We haven't fully embraced full online culture, um, you know, uh, and the, the sort of political ramifications of that. It's more about, like, you know, putting yourself out there on the Internet. And uh, so, the, so, yeah, each I think these films really do, like, lean into the thing and there's a generational thing right like you have the sort of gen xers or you know old, young gen xers of the first couple of film, films that sort of irony soaked kind of dryness you know yeah you get the sort of like in 2011 the millennials they have alison brie as the kind of like girl boss like you know tough character and, and, and kirby's kind of like that too you know yeah kind of millennial character and sam and Richie and the, you know, uh, are kind of like, they even comment in the uh, Scream 5, right, on like these, these, uh, these yeah. young, these young high school students, like what's the deal with like the difference, even that like, you know, five to eight year difference. Because I, you know, because Sam is kind of like a young millennial and then Tara and her friends are like Gen Z Zoomer kind of kids, right? Yeah. So you even have that kind of divide and it sort of comments on the, those cultural divides 
uh, between generations, I think, really well. Although some of the casting, I'm like, how, like all, I mean, that's all screen movies, but sometimes you're like, like you look really young. You look too young for your part. And then someone else is like, you look way too old. Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know how old Dennis Quaid's son is in the, like in Jack number Quaid? five, yeah. but like, he just looks like he's like 35. You know? <laughs> but he's supposed to be a bit older, right? Like that's, is he supposed to be 35? The the, no, but he's supposed to be like, He's he's very much not a like yes right. yeah. So as, the, actress, as the actress who plays Sam, Melissa Barrera, I looked up how old she's she's th- she's your age. Yeah, she she looks it. Yeah, she's a Mexican actress. Yeah, she though, is right? Mexican. Like, yeah. She was in like some telenovelas and stuff. Yeah, like that. just like a TV actress. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and of course, like Jenna Ortega, she's tw- only twenty. She was born in two thousand two, <laughs> and she was a child star too. So. But um, she's also very small, and so she plays like often like like she's her most famous thing is playing wednesday the teenager in like the adam's family spinoff on netflix right so that's kind of her thing is playing like younger than she actually is yeah she reminds me of kind of like a zendaya they have this sort of like moody look zendaya is like huge uh, for sort of amazon compared with yeah zendaya's giant (laughs) she's like six feet She makes Timothy Chalamet look so, so small in Dune. <laughs> um, yeah, no, but see, so a lot of people, I think in the comments in this movie coming so quick after the last one, which I have to remind, Scream 2 came one year after Scream 1. Mm-hmm. So like... 96, 97, this is 22, 23. And, you know, but it did feel like nowadays to have a sequel one year later, like exactly one calendar year later, very rare. That's mm-hmm. kind of wild. Um, if well, it's not like in a giant Marvel the thing. actual production, if they, they didn't actually got it together they, and did it, yeah, that's what I'm actually. Aaron, do you know anything about the production? Did they had they already planned to make another no. one right away? No, they, they jumped no, into the ski, Scream Five was a big hit, and they greenlit it like two weeks later. Well, like, done. let's go, well, let's just go make another one immediately because we. I think they wanted to make Scream Five earlier in COVID, like slowed it down. Mm, okay, so a lot of people have been like, oh, you know, Scream Six, it might be, it's all right, but it it doesn't really justify his existence. But I feel like from our discussion it kind of does and some of the things that might seem a little less um you know pointed than some of the past films in the franchise is actually more indicative of just this time and place in cinema and horror and like trying to navigate what is the point of a horror movie is the point of a horror movie to you know put a mirror up to society's evils and like unpack trauma and how people deal with like the things that scare them on a ter- like a terrestrial yeah. basis or is it to scare the crap out of people or is it to make people like have fun with the killing and this movie kind of ties those into yeah. it without yeah, yeah. really commenting on it like so much you're right, right. you're right it, in the they're in like a lot of the horror now they're they're um uncomfortable with the i they're uncomfortable with the knowledge that horror has like a, a lurid like prurient interest like where you are you know you're, you're taking pleasure in seeing something that you actually shouldn't be um so we try to justify it with that kind of like emotional catharsis side mm-hmm. which is probably yeah. the property of uh, the central like theme of a lot of elevated horror right which then oh, s- absolutely. speaks absolutely. into that whole that whole aspect you're talking about so maybe it actually makes sense that our uh our central you know w- one of the two central heroes is uh you know a big elevated horror fan and then sort of like embodies that through the the, the character, right? Like uh, Tara, like acts in some sense like an elevated horror character because she's she's concerned with like, um, and and then you know, and then Sam's working through her own like demons aspect. Tying it back to like justified, I think, and and where this film ranks, and you said that some people say the film can't justify itself i'm like does a slasher movie need to justify itself? no it's, it's i thought it's the also point entertaining. of these things was like and i think that like one the after way the, the other to me this film though it was entertaining i enjoyed watching it had a good time i didn't it moves briskly it doesn't overstay its welcome it you know it it's it's not boring <laughs> and i think that that there's something to be said for that in today's day and age and and the other thing is like does this film to in my you know old man a mind does it you know i'm like oh it's not as good as the 90s screams you know they were way better but uh you know sure okay maybe that but like compared to movies now i think it's pretty good (laughs) 
Yeah, all those. So it depends on what you're. Uh, just missing the fact that it's not set in the '90s, which, exactly. which makes anything better. Yeah. Yeah. No. Abs- absolutely. Um, but you're right, Aaron. That you, it does shouldn't have to justify itself. No, it shouldn't have to justify itself. But also, part of the whole thing about making a commentary on franchises is like franchises continue on regardless of whether they need to or not, or whether you like it or not, and that's the cinematic landscape we live in. And Truly, what better franchise is there to make fun of that and to make us aware of the insane hypocrisy of that than the Scream franchise? Like, it's a franchise built on the foundation that horror movies are bad. They're bad for people. Um, that they encourage things that are, like, not good for like, you. Almost all the villains in these films are, like, demented people who are fans of horror movies. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, but, like, we, we have to clarify here. Like this, you know, these new ones don't have Wes Craven anymore. Obviously, he died a few years back. But Wes Craven, of all the horror greats, was so skeptical of whether horror movies are actually something that we should encourage as a society. Like, so many of his movies are specifically about. If you want to I just don't know if horror movies. Examples? Well, the best example is New Nightmare, his, his like kind of. Meta screen before a scream. Exactly. It's his 1994 Nightmare on Elm Street sequel, which is set in the real world with the real cast. And the whole thing is that the script for a new reboot of Nightmare on Elm Street that he's writing is so powerful. It rips Freddy Krueger out of like paranormal world into reality and starts killing off all the people associated with the original movie. And the thesis of that film is that like, why are we wanting to bring demons into the world through our stories? Mm. Because you're, it's like, the world doesn't need this. There's enough evil in it. And now you've created something else to terrify and torment and traumatize people. Why? What is the value here? Unless you have some point, something that you can actually, um, some object lesson out of it, the value can't just be luridness. <laughs> yeah. And Which so is why these are satires. Though. Exactly. But even like the Nightmare on Elm Street's movie, Nightmare on Elm Street movies have that. The Hills Have Eyes movies have that. Wes Craven is extremely skeptical at all of his movies. If even if they don't have a satirical edge, they have a social critique edge, hmm. as in like the Nightmare on Elm Street movies are specifically indicting suburban parents. And like that suburban culture, the idea of outsiders about the scapegoats, the idea of like your parents have skeletons in their closet to give you the like amazing life where you have no worries except for like what cute boy to get with at school. And Hills of Eye movies is all about like, oh, you literally think poor people are like mutant monsters. <laughs> like that's what they're about. Um, so it's it's fitting for the Scream series, even if it doesn't go to that degree, to have this kind of employ, implied moral critique within the actual franchise itself, where like the fact that Hollywood keeps bankrolling Scream movies is an indictment of Hollywood, and you, that is required. We need Scream movies to constantly point out that Hollywood keeps making mistakes with the way it approaches horror. So to you know, extent, just, just, just a little interesting yeah, about Wes yeah. Craven. I don't know. I don't know what his. Uh, religious convictions or anything were but he did study english and psychology at wheaton oh wow <laughs> so he uh he did you know does have a bit of that sort of background there so I, he was so, just a very smart filmmaker so to extend to get you to extend on this uh one beat aaron so i haven't seen any other uh bettinelli open and, and gillet films or radio silence yeah. or so do you think that they're doing something distinct from what you're identifying as um kind of like Craven's horror project in some sense. Um, yes. Is this a different direction? Is it an extension? Is it a redirection? I, I, I think they keep, um, they are very self-conscious in the way they construct their stories. They're known for these shorts that are in the VHS films, or um, they directed a bunch of the stuff in the Southbound, another and one of those horror anthologies. They did Ready or Not. Um, I think they're making the new Escape from New York movie coming out oh, soon. Huh. But they anyways, their approach is less. He's um, in that. I can't remember off the top of my head. I am. Um, their approach is more of being like a self-conscious yeah. way of, of framing and, and structuring their horror story. So like, for example, I think the best short they ever made is in the first VHS movie and it's the best short in the movie. And it's, um, it's like a, the title's like 10 31 99 or something. And it's about like a bunch of guys on a Halloween party who with their camcorder 
in like the late nineties or whatever, who go to a haunted house and the whole thing is the house is actually haunted, but they're all like too drunk and like out of it to really <laughs> understand what they're like wandering into. And so the house has like all these practical effects of like arms coming out of the walls to grab them. Like, Whoa, this is crazy, man. And like, <laughs> so that is just purely like making fun of the idea of like, you know, people nowadays are so horror movies have poisoned the brain to the point they can't actually comprehend reality when it's face staring them in the face, they see everything mediated through stuff, which is part of the whole found footage thing, right? Found footage is the actual format of found footage is a mediated source. So it's always presented like reality is the, is the film is reality and it just loops back yeah, and it's yeah. this recursive thing. Yeah, right? thing about it is, yeah. That the foregrounding of the medium actually sig- signifies realism doing interesting yeah. is that they bring in a couple times we get um they actually utilize sort of like um footage on people's um smartphones to try to sort of like emphasize that the things happen whether deceptively or not but like so like you know in, in like a small form they've actually brought in a bit of that like found footage with uh, like ghost that reused the shot of uh the people throwing uh cherry coke at sam <laughs> oh yeah that, that was all that which was funny because i did drink a cherry coke during the movie <laughs> Oh, cherry Coke's the best Coke. Um, yeah, but so you have that, and then you have like Ready or Not, which is their other famous, or their, their you know most popular movie that's not Scream, and that's a class satire in the guise of a final girl horror movie, or like kind of, and it's got a bit of that like murder mystery element of like you don't know who's good, who's bad. Um, Adam Brody's in it, and he's kind of the character. Is it a bit of the most dangerous game thing too. Uh, well, it's a little bit because it is the idea of like there's a predatory rich people that will like kill folks just for fun, but you don't entirely know what. Gotcha. It, it does have a bit of that murder mystery thing it because it. it's it's supposed it's supposed to be like they've made like a pact with the devil, and you don't know whether the pact is real or not. That's the whole thing. It might just be an excuse for these rich people to murder people, and it's the idea of like. Well, they have this, you know, these rich people are following these standards that are completely we We don't normal people would never understand these. They're following these rules that are beyond us. And we just have to, like, trust that they are working in everybody's best interests, <laughs> you know. So it, there's like an implied class critique in the whole thing of being like, well, you're just supposed to trust rich people have to have the power that they have everybody's interest at heart. And that might end up meaning you die. What year was that? <laughs> that was 2019. So that was like yeah, right before the pandemic. Recently, yeah. It was like an August movie. So it kind of was in that late, you know, horror often drops in August to try and do the counter program before the, the prestige stuff comes in. I feel in. like that uh, that's what actually one of the, that's like a recent horror movie that has a, like a pretty big name for itself. Like it always pops up. People mention it. Yeah. And I think it's because it like made Samara Weaving a bit of a, a name. Obviously, like, again, it has Adam Brody. It has some other kind of popular character actors. Um, but basically, this all this is to say is that Radio Silence have a satirical project, yeah. which is more aimed at specifically how we consume horror stories through media and our like class interests. So it's less about less like moral or philosophical in the way that Wes Craven is, but it's still tackling horror films with an understanding of the genre understanding the tropes a desire to give people what they want in the entertainment factor but always have a slight critical lens on it don't you know the rules what rules you don't jesus christ you don't know the rules Uh, have an aneurysm why don't you there are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a horror movie for instance Number one, you can never have sex. Big no no, big no. I'm a dead man. Sex equals death, okay? Number two, you can never drink or do drugs. No, the sin factor. It's a sin, it's an extension of number one. And number three, never, ever, ever under any circumstances say, I'll be right back. Because you won't be back. I'm getting another beer, you want one? Yeah, sure. I'll be right back. So where would you guys uh, put this uh, Scream Six or and uh, say the, the the Scream requels out of the out of the six films that we have? So I'll, I'll go first because I haven't I haven't right I haven't seen them all, so I'll just go first, right? Like I think uh, one is cut above all the rest. I think two is really good, um, and then I think for me five and six. I've watched them very closely, sort of back to back. It's hard for me to say if one's better than the other. I think there's, as I sort of mentioned, like there's elements in the first one I prefer uh, in terms of the 
I think like the meta humor. And then in this one, I actually think the set pieces are better. So I'm sort of undecided, but I'd still say I thought that these were good, enjoyable films. I, I did a thing like I had ever, only ever seen the first three Scream films. So I like binged the whole series in this past week. <laughs> so I literally watched the Scream movies all week. And so what's your fun. ranking then? With, with so all these I would rank, mind? this is how I'd rank. I think the first Scream, which I have taught in my horror film classes, I watched quite regularly at Halloween every couple of years. I think it is one of the best horror films, one of maybe one of my top five horror films ever. Like I, I like it that much. Like I think it's very, very good. Like masterpiece. Is it that your is it your favorite Wes Craven? You like it more than Nightmare? I'd have to rewatch Nightmare. I haven't watched Nightmare since like high school. So I should, okay. I'm probably I'll due speak for a Nightmare rewatch. And say like I, I don't actually love Nightmare on Elm no, Street. I'm, I'm but aware. I need to I need to revisit it. I'll admit I'll say I'm open to revisiting it, but I, I don't I didn't love it. Anson, you and I should watch it maybe with a couple of them this year. I rewatched um, it on Halloween a year and a half ago with my mother in law. Her comment was, Is this supposed to be funny? Because this is very funny. I'm like, Yes, it is. <laughs> so I love the original Scream. I think it's one of the classic nineties movies because there's very few films that to me like also say nineties as much as that. The one thing I'm always sad is that they did not keep the name scary movie for this series and instead gave it up and then let the comedy, the parody, uh, take it. Cause I think that would have been great if they were just all called scary movie. Um, but I, I also really like number two. I think it's, I don't think it's as good as the first, but I, I like it a lot. Um, it, it held up to rewatching, uh, after a number of years. And, um, but, and so I would, I rank them number one, number two, and then I might actually rank these two new ones next. I, I like them. Oh yeah, over three and four. Yep, I like three and four. Don't get me wrong. Some people, some people genuinely don't. Which like is better, three, three or and four. four? Which is your bottom? Um, now, a lot of people like four quite yeah, a bit. Yeah, so though, a lot actually. of people like four, and this is where I will probably dissent from most people. I th- understand why people like three the worst, but I probably preferred three to four. Like it the worst, <laughs> or like <laughs> no, they still like might like it. Yeah, kind of. oh, but yeah. Okay, some people okay. genuinely don't like. But do people hate it? Sure. Do some people hate? Some people do. Yeah. But I would rank so I would rank them three, then four. And my reasoning for that is one, two, I, five, so one, and six. two, five, six, or it's hard to say. I'd probably lean five, then six, just slightly, like almost the, then three, four. And now my reasons for putting three, which is a ridiculous movie, and that's partly why I like it. Like it's it's so over the top, it's so goofy. Um, I, I I love the though that that just the tackiness of that era, the casting of the film is, is so good. Um, Lance Henriksen. Lance Henriksen basically playing Wes Craven. <laughs> yeah. The hair and everything. Uh, you got a cameo by Roger Corman. It's great. Yeah. Um, the Parker Posey is very, very funny. Patrick Warbutton. Oh, man. Like, it's. it's I really also like, I actually really like the opening scene in three yes, with, uh, with Cotton, Cotton Weary. Yeah. Cotton Shire Weary in the, in the car. And like, <laughs> it's, it's just a very. What radio. I like about it is that it captures that LA feel really well. It's so scuzzy in LA and like people who are just trying to like climb up the Hollywood ladder. And whereas, uh, you know, Sydney's just this such an earnest character. Anyway. I, I kind of like it for that, even though while I understand, I think the second half of the film is a little weaker than the first, but it has the great, but I do, I like movies. I generally like movies that are set in like a Hollywood mansion with like secret passages and stuff Agreed. like that. So, <laughs> you know, I mean, maybe it's because I love the Rocketeer as a kid. I don't know. You know, that kind of stuff. And four, I don't dislike four. Four has a good cast. Like I said, the opening pre-credit uh, uh, kill scene is great. It's one of the, is Kristen really Bell. Good. Yep. So Aaron, what's your ring? I just just briefly jumping off the uh, Scream Three points is that yeah, it's it's the two. So the good thing about Scream Three, which I never hear anybody really talk about, is that the movie is essentially a Me Too satire before that was even a thing. Like the whole yeah, movie is about it's twenty. It is about how Hollywood like chews up women and spits them out, and just like the whole Hollywood machine is an abuse complex <laughs> for women. And the movie is very pointed about that, and the fact that it, like you get a Hollywood movie that's dealing with that in 2000, very interesting to look also, back as on. This it. new film points out the only scream where there's only one killer. It's it's true. And don't spoil for Anton. You saw the movie. You saw the movie, so he knows. <laughs> oh, it. Yeah, know scream six, but you don't know all the who's and whys. I want a scream, <laughs> which where is pretty ridiculous. I want a scream where everyone but the main character is actually Ghostface. <laughs> That'd be pretty good. They reveal like like, everyone comes out and they're like, we were all. You have like City of the Dead, a city of Scream. (laughs) 
City of Scream. Scream, Scream, City, City, City Scream of Scream. City. Scream City. <laughs> Scream, yeah, I like that. <laughs> um, okay, so I think the bad thing about Scream 3 is it's such a simple thing, but it actually is almost like a game breaker. It's the fact that Ghostface can mimic other people's voices. Yeah, I was telling Anton how he has a little thing Which that allows like, him to like... It's too ridiculous. It gives him like superpowers. <laughs> that sounds very Scooby-Doo. Yes. It's oh, yeah. very, this, that one is very Scooby-Doo. Well, exactly. And then again, a good thing about really. it is that in terms of the the goofiness is that it is probably the most slapsticky of all of them to the point where Ghostface is getting like punched and kicked and like flipped knocked over. out of windows and flipped over and like thrown downstairs constantly. Like it borders on being a scary movie. <laughs> he is just taking a beating constantly in that film and always getting up and like running awkwardly. Also like wait, Patrick Warburton is the bodyguard. It's just <laughs> Wait, how many scary movies are there? Like I don't four? Know. <laughs> Too many. <laughs> Is there more than there's? Yeah, the weigh-ins just don't stop. They do like a movie a year. <laughs> there was at least four. I know that. Um, it so my very ranking well blockbuster in the day. It's true. My ranking briefly. It's I would yeah. Scream one is the best. Um, I'd put two and five next, kind of on equal. I think five, Scream two might. Wow. I really like Scream five. Um, I did a similar thing to you, but I, Andrews, where I watched them all, but I did it last year, where I'd seen one through three. I hadn't seen four. But knowing because we were in the stupid like January lockdown and I knew Scream was going to be the movie, the new movie opening on February 1st. And so I was like, okay, the last four days of January, I'm watching a Scream movie a day to lead up to going to it. And everybody in the theater was like so into it. Everybody was just like howling and like loving it so much. Um, so it was just a great you experience. Went to the theater in your ghost face mask. I, I feel like I almost should the next time. The next time there's a scream movie, I'm enough of a scream fan. At this point. <laughs> but you gotta ride the subway now with it, <laughs> <laughs> and do like a creepy like I'm gonna go up to stab somebody, then turn off at the last second, <laughs> get off the subway. Yeah, and then you're gonna get like shot by a guy in like a convenience store. With a okay. Very, very brief comment. The subway scene is awesome. Simply just for like, like the tension is really good about like, oh, do we know that Ethan's the killer or not? Blah, blah, blah. Which, Anders, do you know who Ethan is? I recognize him from something. Yeah. <laughs> no, you mentioned him on the last podcast episode. He's Spider in Avatar. Yes, yeah, yeah. That, thank you. Yes. <laughs> what? Yeah. Spider. That's, That's why he looks so he familiar. Gave such a I strong was... performance. <laughs> no, I was Antoine. Didn't I say at the movie? I'm like, I recognize that guy. Where's he? What's he from? Well, you were like Spider for supporting support actor. <laughs> he's very good in this too. But yeah, he's got that kind of innocent I don't smile. Die of <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but that I love all the different. Um, horror movie characters in the on the car and the the joke of having like the babadook on there and stuff even to like reference back to five so yeah i would have one and then two and five and then i'd probably have probably six and then three and then three four i'd have last not because i think there's anything necessarily wrong with four or anything on its own it actually is enjoyable exactly but my issue with four is that it it actually does seem like the film that is on an island and it, it makes sense because it's the one that was like there's a 10 year gap between the one before and the one after. And so it seems a little stranded as to being like, what what is this movie commenting on about Hollywood? Because it doesn't it doesn't quite justify it in the way that all these other ones do. Even if I think that one's actually quite vicious. Yeah. <laughs> is that crazy? Like the kill. Yeah, it's the final. It's Craven's last movie, I think. Right. Yeah. But I do like them all. Here's a, here's a here's a ranking type question. Or maybe you don't even have to rank. But like, is there a screen movie that doesn't actually that fails to deliver the requisite phone call opening sequence in a way that's actually like effective. So, cause you know, I would say with the sixth one, I was like actually surprised that they pulled it off. Like, mm-hmm. you know, this is the sixth time doing like this sort of phone call thing, but they had to do and it. Was like, it worked. It was act- It's one of the highlights of the movie. Yeah. But the reversal though, you have to have the reversal. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, like, at first I was like, Oh my goodness, they're giving away. So because you've seen them all, because you've seen them all, do they uh, like? Does anything fall short? Is not really no. Is like hilariously good in its uh, opening. So really, they're not going to make it. It's almost like they're like sitting down. And they're like, we can't make the movie unless we have a really good idea for how we're. No, gonna exactly, do that, right? Anton. I actually think I'd go a step further. Where I feel like the way you would pitch a screen movie is like you have to have that opening scene. Right, one and two just have such amazing opening scenes. Well, actually, I thought Ander, I thought Anders' comment your last last night when we watched it that you were like, 
the first the first movie's scene the crazy thing about it is that it's been parodied and then like you know it's been it's duplicated and played off of in all the screen movies but you're like it's still a really good horror sequence oh it's oh, it's, it's really legendary scary. like That's i would thing. <laughs> almost like i know that this is maybe hyperbole but it's like up there with like the like like a hitchcock scene no it's it, no, it's it, like it, psycho it, it yeah. deserves it deserves like it deserves to be talked about the way the way that you talk about the shower sequence in psycho and it the reversal that. of like people thought Drew Barrymore was going to be like you cast a big star, a fairly big star, and then like kill her off in the first. It's like, great. It's great minutes, in like... concept, great in execution. It's it's a great sequence. What's your favorite scary movie? Uh, I don't know. You have to have a favorite. What comes to mind? Um, Halloween. You know the one with the guy in the white mask who walks around and stalks babysitters. Yeah. What's yours? Guess. Um, Nightmare on Elm Street. Is that the one where the guy had knives for fingers? Yeah, Freddy Krueger. Freddy, that's right. I like that movie. It was scary. Well, well, the first one was, but the rest sucked. So, you got a boyfriend? (laughs) Why? You want to ask me out on a date? Maybe. Do you have a boyfriend? Um, No. You never told me your name. Why do you want to know my name? I want to know who I'm looking at. But I think maybe, Anton, the reason why I think the Scream series is probably the best horror movie franchise is because it, every movie is delivered on that opening scene promise. Like, it's it's almost like if you pass that test, the movie is going to be good. Well, I'll say that I'm my weird take, perhaps, is that I'm like, out of the recent, you know, if we took like five and six is kind of like also kind of their own thing, like sort of like the, the rebooted sequence. It's like I do prefer the... Uh, the David Gordon Green probably Halloween trilogy, even though it's more bizarre in some sense. Like you know, like five and it's more five ambitious and six, too, though, right? Five and six, um, I would say like are we should actually give them credit for being, um, just like really competent further entries in whether you want to call it a slasher or whatever or a meta horror series. Like it, the fact that they've they've delivered two good movies as number five and six, like deserves a lot of credit, uh, still playing, you know, the, the variation and repetition within the, the, within having to do a very specific set of things. Um, I just think like now I've had some distance in like sort of comparing horror movies and weird takes. Like I actually think it'll be cool to revisit David Gordon Green's Halloween stuff in a few years and like, think of it as a trilogy. Cause I, you know, I think on our podcast uh, in October, I was talking about it and I was like, you know what? Like, I almost just wish he would have done the first one and not done the other two. But now that I think about it, you're like, it's such a weird kind of like trilogy and like the whole Corey stuff, which like Corey, is kind of Corey. ridiculous. But <laughs> this, is the, this is the Corey Cunningham fan podcast. But <laughs> you've reached the Corey hotline. Yeah, basically, it's becoming a Corey. Oh, we're Cunningham a huge. Fan. We are like the we, only we, people in the world. We should, we should position ourselves online as like the primo Corey. Fa- like <laughs> we will, we will stand by Corey. I stand with Corey. <laughs> I man, I, I did nothing like, wrong. <laughs> I even like uh, the second one. Like just how ridiculous the town. Be like, we gotta go get him. Yeah, that whole just, scene like, where there's out. like it's like a full action scene fighting. Evil yeah. dies tonight. Anton, can I pose the? possibility that it is it is simply because david gordon green is a very good filmmaker yeah and so even when he's doing something that's like weird in concept he's like very good at the film aspect of it which makes me very excited for him him and mcbride doing a new exorcist movie this yeah yeah in november i'm very but is he gonna have like the danny Danny McBride humor. Well, the, well it's just, you know, like the priest is just like saying some ridiculous, vulgar, yeah, terrible we, stuff. Like righteous <laughs> gemstones meets the exorcism. Yes, oh, exactly. Yeah, that's the what gemstones it is. have the, to come the and deal have with them. To do an exorcism. John Goodman has to take this demon out. <laughs> Any last uh, thoughts, other you guys, about Scream or horror movies today? I'm curious if they're going to try and round it out for the second trilogy. Kind of feel they should. I yeah, I feel like they've done the two. They they might as well do a seven and just see what they if they can. This one's off. making good money again, so I think it will. Yeah, it had, didn't have a really good opening weekend. I think. I think it's almost made as much as Scream Five already. So, and obviously that was different circumstances, but um, I, it it might end up with like hundred million, which is like a lot for a horror movie. <laughs> I do have to say, like I I don't 
entirely understand some of these like release schedules because I get that like horror gets dumped often in in February March because they, there's not a lot else. But how but, does like, movie not make a bank in October? No, I know, but like my thing is, and then October is turning into like like an early. Uh, it's almost like the the Christmas blockbuster season is extending backwards into like October now, and like so like October is not not just like horror movies and stuff like you're getting like things and then there's movies where like this which are set around halloween which are embracing like halloween atmosphere and you're like like you know i enjoyed seeing this this would be really fun to see in theaters around halloween do you like scary movies sydney thanks for joining us for this discussion of scream we hope you enjoyed it and we'll catch you next time goodbye mr Bond. i bid you farewell <laughs>